Good morning, everyone. Uh, our first reading uh, comes from the prophet Isaiah, and uh, he writes, in, in short, uh, that God is the hope of his people uh, and those crushed by misfortunes of any kind. And in Isaiah's time, that was a lot. Uh, but he's telling them the reason for hope, and uh, we see St. James, he urges all who claim Christ as Savior to be patient uh, with each other and to be patient with the times and um, to be patient regarding the Lord's final coming. James is talking about the second coming of Jesus in this passage we heard. He urges the kind of patience and hope he likens them to farmers uh, who are awaiting their harvest, and some of them with anxiety, uh, but not with fear. And um, he goes on to say which... Um, all the prophets of old uh, have uh, spoken and have been waiting for the promises to be filled, and that would be in Jesus Christ is when we would see this fulfillment. And my friends, uh, Isaiah uses this image of the desert uh, made fruitful by rain uh, to example the confident hope God would restore his people um, that had been crushed by so many things and misfortunes. Their most difficult challenges will be relieved when God sends salvation to his people. As Christians, we understand this as Jesus Christ. St. James then urges, be patient and steep yourselves in hope in waiting for the complete fulfillment of God's plan, much in the same way the prophets of old had done for the people. They waited and they kept hope that the promises made by God would be fulfilled. John the baptizer's image of the Messiah was uh, held uh, as many of the people of his time did. They had a different idea. Uh, they thought the Messiah would be like a king, a warrior. Uh, he would be a judge who executes a fiery judgment on people. And as we know from the scriptures, Jesus did not quite fit that image that they held. And John, in his circumstance, begins to have doubts. And the one thing I noticed about uh, the scriptures uh, regarding John the baptizer is that uh, even though he had these doubts, and we heard about it today, uh, Jesus did not fault him for it. Instead, he speaks words of gentleness and kindness towards him. Um, so that has a great revelation for us when we move into that area of doubt. Uh, we see how Jesus responds to his cousin and how much more will he respond to us who are his people. Jesus dispels John's doubts by showing that he was doing precisely the things that the prophets of old had predicted for the Messianic times. All of them had said the same thing. We heard from Isaiah what would happen. So my friends, I reflected on John the baptizer and although I I joke sometimes, and not in disrespect to him, but often you heard me say, "When I hope when I go to heaven, it is not John the baptizer who is going to open the door for me, because he tended to be kind of cranky here on earth. <laughs> Probably not so in heaven, I suspect. But, um, but these words of Jesus, uh, that John was the last and greatest in a long line of prophets who have prepared for the coming of the Messiah, I reflected on this, and uh, I saw the courageousness of this man uh, in the face of so many things. And uh, 
the selflessness that he had, um, despite any doubts, um, as we surmise from this gospel read today. And John had, like prophets before him, kept the hopes of his people alive by his faithfulness to God. And my friends, um, if you look up, now those who are sitting in the far back, you'll see the first uh, image of one of the first prophets, Abraham, our father in faith. And when you look up and you'll see Abraham appears to be looking into the sky, and he's looking into the sky because it's scripture. God told him, look up into the heavens and see the stars. See their numbers, how many. And your heritage will be even more than that. And then the next uh, images of the prophet Moses. That one's easy for you because you see he's holding tablets. So you know that's Moses. That's the Ten Commandments. He too brought the word of God in the time in the way that was needed. And then the next prophet, Elijah. And uh, Elijah really had a bad year. And uh, what, when he asked God to help him, God sends a raven <laughs> to feed him. And I thought, oh, okay, that's one way to get help. Um, but the raven would come in the morning and in the evening and bring him bread and meat. And that's why when you look up and you, what's that bird? That's the raven. And then the final one that Jesus speaks of, the prophet, the great one, John the baptizer. And in this image, you see he's pointing, and he's pointing, he's in the river. <laughs> if you can't see, he's in the river because uh, he was the baptizer. But he's also pointing because it was his mission to point out the Lamb of God when he arrived. When the Messiah came, he was to point him out, and he did. There, there is the Lamb of God. I know when you first look, it looks like he's shaking his finger at us. You brood of vipers. Remember from last week? Uh, but that is not the image that uh, we should see when we see it, rather that he points out. And um, like the prophets before him, he kept the hope and he brought the word of God that was necessary in its time, and his was of repentance. And to him, Jesus says, among those born of women, there is none greater than this John. Jesus said John was no reed swaying in the wind. Do you know what Jesus meant by that? He meant that John does not bend to the whims of people. He did not care what society had to say. He did not care what the Pharisees and scribes, the religious authorities of his time, had to say. He did not care. What he cared about was that God's word was being delivered unpolluted and not watered down. He was not easily influenced, if he was at all, by prevailing trends or opinions. He was a man of great principle, of faithfulness to God. John devoted himself totally to the mission that was given to him by God, and this becomes important. His mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah. As a prophet, he lived a lifestyle of great personal integrity, and because of this, the way he lived and how they saw it, it led uh, great uh, authority and, if you will, credence to his words. He walked the talk, as we, we used to say. No wonder so many people flocked to him. Crowds were flocking to him. And then, my friends, as the scriptures tell us, when John's task was done, he moved aside and made way for the Messiah, who happened to be his cousin. That took great humility and greatness. 
But then came the time when John was no longer out in the wilderness, in the deserts, or in the water, but he was in captivity in a cell that was dark and cold, and he awaited his fate. He knew the executioner was coming. There he would be troubled by doubts. He wondered about Jesus, his cousin. Is he the one? So he sends two of his followers to find out. And the answer comes back. Tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. In other words, Jesus was telling John to look at the evidence and draw the conclusion for yourself, John. The very things Isaiah talked about in the first reading was happening. And in the Greek, they don't use the. It was just blind see, deaf hear, lame walk, good news proclaimed. It had a different meaning about it, a broader sense. John, as we know, expected other things from the Messiah because this was the way they thought about things back in his time. And this is why he sends messengers to Jesus. And John just responds. He doesn't condemn him. He responds in gentleness with, with John the baptizer. Jesus sends to John also is that the power of Christ's coming is not found in the fury of a battle, but in the changes within the human heart and in, then in their lives. It is that interchange that Jesus came to bring about in the human soul and is absolutely a necessary condition for any abiding change in this world. John came to understand that the Messiah he awaited did indeed come to do battle, but not with the Roman Empire, but with the power of sin. Not on the plains of the Palestine deserts, but in the human heart. Not once, not just then, but for all generations to come. However, being reminded of the actions and words done, I believe John then has the confidence and hope that was needed. What did he need it for? For many things, but he needed it because the executioner was coming to behead him. And John gives him comfort. I mean, Jesus gives John comfort then by those words. Now he could face the executioner. His life was not in vain. But knowing his situation, Jesus sends something even more personal. Blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. In other words, blessed is the one who, do, who does not lose faith in me. We all have our struggles. And life can be very difficult at times. We do our best with things and sometimes they just don't work out as we'd hoped. And, my friends, one can do their best, but sometimes things still go wrong. John the baptizer, look at He's in a prison cell, and they're going to execute him. I think we could understand 
how we would feel let down by the world. Or we can feel let down by God, maybe even in that moment. We may doubt his love for us. And some will even have doubt that he even exists. And it's at times like those we need to hear those words from the gospel. Blessed is the one who does not lose faith in me, even in the midst of your struggles. God will understand our doubts in a world like today, but we must keep faith and hope. This is why we too need to hear those words of Jesus spoken to his cousin. Blessed is the one who does not lose faith in me. Draw inspiration from John, who is a wonderful example, but know that our real hope lies in Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives meaning to all things in all times. Blessed are we if we do not lose faith in Jesus. So my friends, looking at the scriptures, and John led a life of faith, and you could see it by what he did. So let our words and deeds be concrete examples and evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And in fact, the kingdom of God is upon us. For if we do, as his disciples, this perhaps, this type of witness will uh, cause a reversal of the way things are, perhaps, today. May our Advent prayer be that all people will accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And through a conversion of thought and heart and mind, many, if not all, will open their lives to God and to receive his Son, who is our Messiah. My friends, um, now what I'm about to tell you is not an official church teaching, but rather your pastor. Through prayer, and um, I've engaged uh, those theologians that I personally like, meaning those who study the scriptures with me. And friends, one of, the, um, one of the things about this particular gospel is what Jesus says. Of women, no one greater than John, and yet... He, there are others who are greater in the kingdom. This is what I'm paraphrasing. And I thought, what does that mean? How is this one so great? And yet, there are others greater. I don't understand. So I prayed about it, and I went and read, and I studied. And um, it comes down, I believe, and this is just my opinion, what his mission was. His mission, as what the other prophets, was to do something particular, and he did it. His mission was to point out the Messiah when he came and to announce the breaking in and upon the earth of the kingdom. And he did this, and he did this exemplary. This is what he was supposed to do. John, the magnificent herald of the Messiah and of the kingdom, He didn't live to see the cross. John did not live long enough to experience the full range of Christ as Messiah and Lord and Savior. He did not live long enough to perhaps have his way of understanding the Messiah changed completely. Remember, he had those doubts. Are you the one or is someone else coming? John didn't get to see how the Messiah would actually come in and wage battle 
with gentleness and love and forgiveness. He did not live long enough to understand the depths of the love of God in this Jesus of Nazareth and to see that love poured out, look behind me on the cross, of a man who poured out tears and blood and water for you. John did not see this. He did not live long enough to see the glory of Christ's resurrection on that first Easter Sunday and to experience the power of the resurrection for making all things possible that seem impossible. This was not John's destiny. You who are baptized and are disciples of Jesus Christ, however, it is yours. You live in this time. You understand it. John's mission was to point out the Messiah. Your mission is to populate the kingdom. That is yours to do. When Jesus says, I assure you, history has not known any man born of a woman greater than John the baptizer, yet the least born into the kingdom of God is greater than he. This must be what Jesus must be talking about. Your role now. This is your role. John did his. Now you must do yours. For eight years, as your pastor, I've been, uh, if you will, harping on holiness. You've got to walk in holiness. You've got to be, and the way I went about doing it, Michelle's here, she knows. I've talked with her before. I came to this understanding, Father Mark is slow sometimes. Ignorant, <laughs> perhaps even. I wanted you to become stronger disciples, to be steeped in that relationship of Jesus Christ, to come to love him more and know him more. And doing so, you accept him. And in accepting him, your life begins to change and you walk more and more in holiness. But I wanted you to walk that way in the way that a bishop and a priest does. And it's different. Not better, it's just different. You're not called to do that. Maybe you. <laughs> Consecrated men and women, nuns and monks. But for you, it's different. Ta-da, I finally got it. So now I'm looking for those ways. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. So the rescue project is another method of evangelization in a different way. And it'll, it helps priests and bishops, yes, but it'll help RCIA, which is now known as OCIA, and we'll, get, we'll talk about that later, um, and uh, uh, the sacraments. I mean, it's a, pro, it's a way of evangelizing in a new way that will deepen your hearts, that will draw you closer. You need to know who Jesus is. What did he say? What did he do? What does he want? What is your mission? And then go forth in doing that, and then you will walk in that holiness. So, yeah, Father Mark, you know, he learns. Sometimes it takes time. So it is my prayer, my hope that all of you, unless you engage the rescue project, you will not benefit from it. You've got to engage in it. And when we were in Detroit and I was there, I was just, I was around people 
who had the love of Jesus Christ within their heart and exude it. Uh, it was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> just being around, oh, come on, come on, just rub me a little bit. <laughs> I want that for you. I want that for you. Is that not why you're here? Is that not why the church is here? To do this, we will change your hearts and your lives and you will go out and do what the apostles and the disciples did, change others, and then the world will change. And then Christ will come. Then he will come. And the wait will be over. I went back last week <laughs> because I know he'll change everything. But until then, we walk in hope and faith, drawing closer to him. This is what you're supposed to do. John did his mission, now you have to do yours. So I'm hoping, the, my hope is that the Rescue Project will help us to see that and propel us into it. Amen?